Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Hi, this is Bob, 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 v, 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 Vila. And now, it's time for the show, This Old Dungeon. The show where grognards go to get their grog on. Between the two of us, we're going to get a lot of stuff done. We're going to kick some ass. We're going to be awesome. Featuring your hosts. Hi, this is Bill Barsh. I am the managing director of Paysetter Games and Simulations. Look at this. It's a plumber's nightmare. Hi, this is Edwin. I'm a longtime cast member of Skype of Cthulhu, and I am the 5E editor for Frog God Games. Somebody here call a carpenter? This is Lou Lu. I could charitably call myself a game designer and game publisher, but definitely a veteran role player of 35 plus years. We work on it the rest of the night, we get it together. We can do this, right? There's no way in hell we can do it. We're back again, Dungeoneers. Uh, this is Lou Alu. Hey, this is Edwin. Welcome. Hey, guys, it's Bill. And we have with us tonight a very special guest, Chris Holmes, uh, of lots of different infamy. But, but you know, whenever you're talking RPGs, everybody's going to try to connect him back to his dad, Eric Holmes, uh, the, the uh, gifter of the blue box set, the original D&D blue box set. There it is. Like the <laughs> wonderful can't. dragon on the cover. That, that wasn't Arrow Otis, right? That was... Uh, Sutherland. That, Sutherland. Sutherland, right. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I said. I was going to say, we were very happy with the cover of that. Uh, especially compared to the three, the three little booklets before. <laughs> yeah, it, it, <laughs> it is, a, you know. It was a big genetic. leap forward. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Really um, yes. That's me. I am John Eric Holmes's uh, son. <laughs> That's my claim. <laughs> Hard work. The uh, the first time I went to uh, North Texas, I think it was the first time. Um, there had been some like issue with your room or something. I had just checked into my room. And you were up at the desk, mm-hmm. and uh, there's, there's something going on with the room. I just felt like telling the lady, "Do you know who this guy is? You know, <laughs> do you know what bloodline he comes from?" <laughs> was but, I yelling uh, at her? No, no, she was just. Yeah, I, I don't really remember the details. <laughs> I wasn't trying to pay attention to him anyhow. But there had been some issue, like it was like she maybe lost the reservation or wasn't sure or something. <laughs> I don't know. It's probably maybe. me. Uh, but anyhow, <laughs> welcome to the show, man. We're I'm so glad to have you on. Uh, you know, it's uh, what what it's been a monthish almost uh, since uh, North Texas, since we we're all in the same state together. Um, what's been going on since then, guys? Who's got a story to tell, RPG wise? <laughs> I, uh, my my home game uh, we played last night, and uh, I have just. Uh, I was trying to figure out, so they're going under the mountains and I was trying to figure out how to help them come up. Uh, and I just, I reread part of the uh, caves of chaos, which is where they're getting to unbeknownst to them. And I realized there was a, a way down. Oh, the underdark so passage. I, yeah, right. So they're, they've, they've just found the passage that's going to lead up. So they're going to do all those encounters in the wrong order. 
<laughs> uh, which I think is going to be really fun for them. And I'm, I'm still waiting to see if any of them recognize where they are, you know, after they, after they run into the, some of those encounters. But That's so we I set that up last night, they got out of the, whatever it was, the Dwarven frost temple or the frost dwarf temple, wherever. And, uh, and now they're, yeah, now they're going to start exploring and look for the hobgoblin King. See how that goes. Nice. Oh, you mentioned him on the last episode with skier. <laughs> think yeah i just listened to that and i it was funny and it was kind of moving and uh <laughs> the thing about the uh the goat uh, milker <laughs> it was actually uh just just yesterday uh we had or not yesterday two days ago we had a water heater element go out and uh uh i, I owned my parents house i bought it off my brother and so half the garage I have not finished going through. So it's just a bunch of old parts and tools and stuff of my father's and my mom's. Um, so to get the element out, you got to have a special wrench. It's like a big one and a half inch uh, hex deal. So I was like, Oh man, I, dad, if you're up there listening, man, let me find your wrench. Cause I know he used to, you know, fix everything himself. And I went in there and I found uh, one of the things I came across was the, uh, the milking machines, like uh, a <laughs> cap. I was like, ah, hey, I remember you, you left some scars on me, but uh, yeah. Uh, Chris, do you get to do any gaming outside of conventions? I uh, run a game at the boys and girls club. That's awesome. In the summer, my numbers triple. Oh, I bet. I had 10, 10 teenagers last week. That was five too many, I think. <laughs> <laughs> what what are you running? Uh, I run a, a sort of warped version of Holmes Basic that, with so many of uh, my own rules that you probably wouldn't like it, but maybe you would. No. <laughs> now, well, uh, do you tell them, you know, like the, the history of things? I mean, do they know that, you know, this is a set that, you know, a set of rules that started with my father, you know, or did you just kind of let them either figure that out or not? I tell them a little. I tell them Gary Gygax does my dad a favor. <laughs> yeah. Some of them are, some, yeah. <laughs> some of them care and some don't, but it's oh. cool. Yeah. <laughs> Bill, do you get any gaming in? No, and uh, I mean, I, 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 you know, overdid it at, at NTX, but I, I presently got out of North Texas and I had to fly directly to Florida. My daughter um, was moving; she bought a new house, so it's been uh, just a ton of work moving her out of her old place and into her new place. And same time, we're we bought a new place down here too. We're still getting settled in and and all that. So uh, I've been I've been pretty busy, although. I do have a gaming related story. So I, I noticed uh, there was a, an estate sale popped up kind of my, um, what, I don't know how I got alerted. I'm one of my things right down the road from here. And I, I'm like, you know, I'm going to run over there because it said something about Dungeons and Dragons. That. So I, I roll over there and I picked up a copy of uh, Swords and Spells and uh, a Digest Angriff from 1974. Oh, wow. Is, I, I know. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, holy shit, you got that? Uh, it was pretty cool, but I missed out on a ton of stuff. Apparently, someone swooped in a couple hours for me and just grabbed a whole pile of stuff for next to nothing. You know, I mean, I, I feel bad for the lady. I actually paid her more than what she wanted for the swords and spells. I go, she wanted like ten bucks. I go, no, I'll give you thirty bucks <laughs> for it. Um, you know, I just after she told me what happened earlier, I'm like, oh my god, someone actually talked her down on like probably five or six hundred dollars <laughs> worth of stuff. They got it for like sixty bucks. Oh like, man. man. 
Some folks but, like uh, to play thieves, right? You know, that's a class. I know, I've, I've never found anything ever, by the way. And, and like, I, and I don't actually go out searching for anything. I never really have. But every once in a while, you know, you stop in somewhere and, you know, all you, you see all these other people go into these uh, Goodwills or Salvation Armies and walk out with like 12 milk crates full of every <laughs> rare thing on the planet. You know, I found a copy of Outdoor Survival that was beat to shit for 25 cents one time. And that, that's, that was my legacy. <laughs> But uh, never, uh, that's my gaming-related story this month, guys. So I don't have any extra deal. Endless Encounters came in too up north of Michigan, so we're shipping that next week. Um, it's like twelve hundred bucks going out, so we're 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 pretty busy on the case of the world. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, I never saw guess... outdoor survival till uh, I saw. Car- I love outdoor survival. I mean, it was like one of the gateway drugs for us growing up. I mean, we started yeah. playing that like nineteen seventy-five as as kids, you know, and and then we rolled into Starship Troopers after that because I, I guess we could find, but uh, but yeah, they, yep, that was our, our kind of gateway into into gaming was it was outdoor survival and then uh, Starship Troopers. We played Starship Troopers. Oh yeah, I believe my dad also read it out loud to me or or recommended it to me anyway. So you know the novels, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Good book. Yeah, I've, I've not read the novels, but I've heard, and uh, you know, this is so cliched that uh, it's it's dramatically different than what the the movie they finally came out with was. Oh yeah, yeah, significantly. Both both good in their way, I think. Yeah, yeah. unlike most movies made. <laughs> I can't remember was, it, was was Starship Troopers done by the same guy that did RoboCop? Anybody happen yeah, to know? Vanderhoven, yeah. Okay, yeah. I was gonna say it had that feel that like kind of, you know, yeah. pop era kind of, you know, look back on ourselves and laugh at what you know, <laughs> what kind of creatures we are and how we. Total Recall too, right? The first one with Arnold. Hmm, I don't know. Same guy. The yeah, I think so. His I, I can see it. It's you. got that feel. Yeah. Yeah. Good huh. double bill, certainly. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So my uh, my gaming group, uh, we, we've had a lot of off on off on weeks with with, you know, everything. And uh, so I got some gaming in, you know, just well, what would have been just minutes before we recorded. But thanks to computer air, just 30 <laughs> minutes before we recorded, uh, I actually got to play the game we're talking about tonight. We ran through the uh, Tower of Zenithus, as people call it nowadays. Uh, so, uh, you know, that was pretty cool. I, I can't wait to get in that segment and talk a little bit about, you know, how we enjoyed that. But uh but first, cool. we we got a we got some questions for you, Chris. Are you ready? I am ready. I guess. <laughs> All right. So, uh, I I cannot imagine. You know, like when I got into gaming, my parents looked at me like I had like you know five eyes, and uh, I can't imagine growing up in a household where your 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 parents were into it. Uh, so, uh, how did that all start? You know, what what was it like uh, growing up in a gaming house? You know, especially clear back in the seventies. You know, I, I kind of think I'm a third generation nerd in a way. My uh, grandfather wrote pulp uh, submarine stories, but my uh, my father and mother, with their best friends, used to read the Lord of the Rings aloud to each other as it was being released in America for the first time. They read it aloud as they got the hard. That's awesome. Parents' best friend and my best friend were was their kid, and we were the same age. And uh, we, uh, we all, all got into Dungeons and Dragons about the same time, jumped in 
he his character was Murray the Mage, who also ended up in Maze of Peril, my dad's book. And uh, so it's just like a family affair. But but the, my house was full of pulp uh, sci-fi fantasy stuff and art books and, uh, you know, hippie music and <laughs> lots of toys. My father collected uh, um, battery-powered wind-up robot toys and Marvel comic books. Like the Japanese ones that were real big at the time, right? Like the tin with the lights and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Tin ones with lights. He had a, um, a Godzilla sort of creature uh, and a Yeti that would walk forward a few inches and then scream at you. That was great. So your dad he collected these toys and things. It, was he a horrible father like myself where my toy collection's in like a case and my kids can't touch it? And I give them an <laughs> evil eye if they even look at it. Or did he like let you mess with stuff? We, met, we messed with stuff. I used to be able to uh, flip through his copies of weird tales and oh, wow. adventures and stuff. At some point, the pulp started to deteriorate and he put them in a glass case and that was sad. But uh, uh, no, we, we, we could play with the toys and, and I could borrow books and stuff. So uh, no, it was, I, I, I have no complaints. <laughs> <laughs> I had an idyllic childhood. And your father, his, his primary job was a, a neuroscientist or a, what, what exactly did he do? <laughs> I, I know it's real big brainy stuff, but what exactly <laughs> was it? <laughs> he, taught, he taught neurology at USC Medical School. So he was mostly a teacher. He did a little bit of research that went nowhere, but um, he was a very popular teacher and uh, saw patients occasionally. But that was, uh, yeah, that was his big, his all of his children are teachers too. So he was a little bit theatrical when he was, uh, uh, I guess in junior high, he, he and his friend adapted H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's Herbert West reanimator into a play. <laughs> wow. A little ahead of the time. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So he liked being in front of an audience and uh, he, he was a good, uh, very good speaker, great reader, great, very enthusiastic about new things and, uh, he was always showing me new, exciting things. And I go, oh, I don't know. That sounds kind of dumb. Like, you know, <laughs> Teenage Ninja Mutant Turtles comic book. Was, thought, Other things well, that went nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, I've told this story before, but when he told me there should be a beginner's guide for Dungeons and Dragons to help new players learn how to play, I said, yeah, that's probably a good idea. But don't you think all the nerds are already playing it? Like, how many, how many more people are interested in this thing? And <laughs> wrong by millions, obviously. So millions. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't personally own either a wood box or a, a white box, but I've, I've looked through, you know, PDFs of them. And uh, I mean, it's, it's a stark difference between the language and the layout and, and the knowledge you have to have coming in compared to what, you know, your father's vision and, and creation is, um, you know, I think I've said it to you before. I mean, you know, granted, we don't have D&D without Gary Gygax, but I don't think I would ever end up with D&D without your dad, because that link, that bringing it into like an accessible form for your, you know, farm kid out here in Indiana, uh, man, that's that made all the difference, right? Very nice to hear. Thank you. Well, it, it, I can tell you right now, and another anecdotal thing too, that was, that was exactly our group situation. But the home set was our first experience in the D&D. &D. That's a 
that's how we learned to play. We bought the game off the shelf at our hobby store because we had, I should say hobby store. We had a, a train and model store in our neighborhood. And, you know, they're, they had one of those like uh, comic book magazine racks that kind of spun around. And that would be, that's the only place the entire store that they cared any kind of gaming, anything. So you just went every once in a while to see what was new. And uh, the home set pop just showed up one day and uh, you know, we grabbed it. Uh, I, I bought one and I think two of my other friends also, we, we might've bought them out. They can only have three or four copies of the store. <laughs> and uh, cause it looks so cool. And that's how we learned how to play it. Cause we never even heard of it, but we just love games, like, you know, tabletop kind of games. We weren't even sure what it was, but I uh, never heard of D&D. But uh, that was our first exposure. That's how we learned how to play. I mean, we learned how to play out of the Holmes box, and uh, it's uh, we'll call it that forever. I know people call it the D&D basic box. We call it the home set forever. That's what I think most people call it. And, uh, it, you know, it's a special place in, in my heart because it was how I was introduced to, to the game. And I, don't, I think you're right, Lou, if – they actually had, I, I went back later and bought, they had white boxes too, like probably a six print or seven print OCE. And I, I picked that up later down the road, like in 78 or 79. And flipping through that, it was almost unintelligible how to play the game compared to this, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew how to play D&D and I'm looking at the old brown, you know, the, the little brown books and going, holy crap, what a mess. <laughs> I mean, just a mess <laughs> i mean really is all the way to put it so uh yeah i think uh, i think the hobby you know as you well know owes your dad a um a lot a lot especially because especially because and didn't come out till you know what two three years after this well the, the monster manual i think came out like the year after 77 I think. right yeah 70 78 so this had already been out um for a while yeah i, you know, it, I feel like player's handbook reminds me of 1980 for some reason yeah the dmg came out in 80 player's handbook came out i think in 79 i think i'll go look it up again yeah, i think the monster Man came out it's in december of 77 i think the player's handbook came out in the middle of like june of 78 and the DMG didn't come up like 1980 um, in like August. They, they, they released it at a Gen Con. Um, it might've been 79. Actually. I know that the, the copy of the, the Holmes edition that I have references the monster manual in the back. Yeah. And I think it says coming soon or something like that. And talks about the player's handbook. It probably depends uh, what print you have because the early, yeah, it's print, a second. You know, it's, it's got, it's got the early product ones. listings on the back and stuff like that. It's one of the, yeah. Um, you know, growing this up, I had no idea. Like, I remember going into I, I had the train store, just like you, going in the train store, <laughs> and you know, for a while it was the the blue blue box with the dragon, and then a couple of years later, oh, it was you know the the red box with the the wizard and all that. And I had no idea that that was like different editions. I was like, what man? They they, they keep trying to upgrade their cover or whatever. I, <laughs> I didn't realize what you know. I, I don't think I really understood you know, the, the pedagogy of the differences and things until, uh, I don't know, even maybe as, as late as a couple decades ago. Yeah. Um, the, the, the set I have down here is definitely, I know it's a later print to say it's the chit set, right? Oh, yeah. The chit set of dice in it. Plastic so shortage in like the a, 70s oil embargo uh, yeah, print box set. But this one goes all the way up and, and talks about the Dungeon Master's Guide, seven or eight AD&D adventures. I mean, it's got a whole cool product listing on the back. 
Um, so this is definitely a much later printing. I, I mean, like I said, I'm in Florida. It's just coincidence that, I mean, a fluke that I even have this down here. Um, but I could, you know, I could pull my first, I do have a first print box set. I could pull it out and see what it looks like. Um, as far as what the product is, it'd be interesting to look at that actually on the back and see what other D&D products kind of were available. So I'm sure it was on the back at the time, um, but it wasn't much. I know that. Copy actually I gave to my wife's nephews and they destroyed it. <laughs> <laughs> but Carl Heil gave me this copy. Uh, so I don't know how old this one is. So this is cool. I, I don't remember when I picked this one up, but they, they did, they cut all the chits out. So they obviously, I think they tried to use them. But they also cut out the coupon. There was a coupon in here. Um, in, get your dice. And where you could send it in with two bucks and get a set of dice. So somebody actually did that probably with this. It's not in there. Now, as I understand, that was all about the oil embargo. Has anyone else heard that as being the connection there? It, it, there's a, it, it very well could be. I'm sure it was a, you know an original supply chain issue, right? So, Because from what I understand, like there's earlier versions of it that had the dice in it. And then there was a while that it was chits, and then it was back to dice, and yes. then it moved on. It, to it started more. with the old, yeah, yeah. They definitely started with the old low impact TSR dice that go for a ridiculous amount of money right now. <laughs> um, there are several printings. There's this box that has like I, I have eight or nine printings. I want to say. No, the oh, one I'm checking in on me. Like, what's going on? There's someone's blowing fireworks off already outside. So. <laughs> I'm sitting outside in our. We have like a covered porch down here, so I'm sitting outside. In and all of a sudden, there it goes. It's the 3rd of July. <laughs> hey, uh, I, I used to live in a swamp across from a uh, trailer park, and we would get fireworks clear through till September, man. Any night you want to see fireworks, buddy, they are fireworks. America. America. <laughs> I want to hear more stories about living in a swamp. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. Yeah, I don't want to get too off topic. Anyhow, um, so <laughs> so Chris, uh, you know, yeah, we've derailed this pretty well already. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, talking about additions. Um, how surreal was it then, or, or you know, did you even notice that you know, like, okay, all of a sudden, you know, it's your dad's version that's that is the flagship for the company. Uh, we got uh, invited to be a guest of honor. He was guest of honor at one of the Gen Cons. That's why I thought that was when the handbook came out, but maybe it was when the Dungeon Masters. But I was at the Playboy uh, Club in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and there was a dinner that we had to dress for, and I got to sit next to Gary Gygax's daughter at the dinner. And, uh, you know, I met, we met Gygax, I met Tim Kask and Jim Ward and Rob Kunst and some other. That's when I knew it was a big deal. And they, they took him on a tour of the, um, TSR Incorporated. And I think that's when they kind of subtly told him that they'd gone to a million copies or whatever. <laughs> so he's like, oh, gee, I blew it. I should have asked for royalties. <laughs> but yeah, it was, a, it was a big deal. But then uh, I, it's sort of, um, it, it seems like it was fading and video games and Magic the Gathering was taking over. And I didn't, uh, I kind of thought, it, you know, uh, part of history, whatever. Um, but then when this guy asked, uh, um, he asked if my father wanted, would allow him to make a collection of the Boinger and Zereth stories from the Dragon magazine. And of course my dad said, 
guess. And uh, I heard about that just at, at my uh, dad's memorial service. And so I contacted Alan and he said, oh, yeah, we're going to make a book. And I was, that was really exciting to me. And uh, so I went to uh, he said, we're, we're going to you know, sell the book at this North Texas uh, convention if you want to go. Uh, and then so I said, yeah, and I bought the ticket and the, reserved my hotel room. And then he emailed me back and said, oh, the book's not quite ready yet. <laughs> Maybe you don't want to go. <laughs> Uh, but I went anyway, of course, because I bought the ticket. <laughs> and then I, uh, you know, saw some uh, some of the old folks, and some of them claimed to remember me. And everyone uh, had something to say about my dad and the basic set. And I had a good time and played Cave Master and Empire of the Petal Throne. And uh, I said, "Oh, I'm going to go to next year, whether the book's there or not." <laughs> took two more years before the book came out. I have a question. I'm sure. It's been answered before you might have answered it. So your dad put the box, you know, we're going to lovingly call the Holmes box set together. Did, was there ever any talk about putting together a subsequent set to go beyond third level? Um, or, or was that just AD&D was going to take over and that was going to be that? Or, you know, was your dad involved maybe with any conversations about that? Not that I'm aware of. I think uh, I think they wanted AD&D to be what people transition okay. I, I think that's what the common sentiment always has been, but I was just always curious that, you know, it would have been, a, you know, of course we look back at it on our, you know, our 2022 eyes, how cool it would have been to have a follow-up box set with this thing. This would be really neat. And uh, if there was any, if, you know, if they ever talked to your dad about it or, or anything else like that, I've never heard of anything in my, you know, people I've ever talked to, but um, I've never had a chance to actually ask you that question. So um, I, I think it's pretty cool, but, it doesn't obviously diminish the fact of how well this thing still stands on its own. And it does. It holds up today as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you could handle yeah. some people and still go with it. There were parts of uh, the player's handbook that I put a big pencil X through because I was like, no, this doesn't work for me. <laughs> no, <laughs> no psionics, please. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's a good crowd here. I love this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I did just look um, it up, by the way. The, the Monster Manual did not come out yet. Now, I, I should remember from our last podcast. Monster Manual didn't come out until uh, December of 77. And the first edition of this box set was July. So it did predate okay. it by almost six months. Half a year. Um, yeah. Yeah. Pretty fascinating. And obviously, we didn't get the entire AD&D spectrum until the end, you know, middle of the, you know, August basically of 79 when the DMG came out. So, you know, this... This set was it. I mean, this was uh, this was the Cadillac of TSR for you know really. A couple yeah, because the mon the Monster Manual was not exactly a playable game. No, exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, my, my twelve year old self would disagree. We used it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. We that's used true. all right. Yeah. We're we're into the ends. We definitely <laughs> used it to augment okay. this, although we still couldn't figure out how to get a character past third level. But it didn't matter because it was still awesome. So, but you still got to fight a dragon, like. How do we fight a dragon? <laughs> <laughs> Carefully. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we could fight him. That wasn't the fighting him wasn't the problem. Surviving was. <laughs> yeah. How many hirelings till he's absolutely full? <laughs> cannot eat another bite. You know. <laughs> oh. So, uh, I Chris, I, I oh, sorry. I want to go on record. That go I go for the it. The Manual. That's <laughs> 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 my, my second favorite book. And I love uh, druids yeah. for some reason. So, uh, and and some spells and the 
player's handbook. So I'm not a I'm not anti a Dungeons and Dragons, anti advanced Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Not really pro no, either, though. <laughs> I don't want to spend too much more of the interview talking about your dad. Uh, not right. not because he doesn't deserve it, but because uh, you know I I think I first became aware of you uh, you know through other podcasts. I so I know you've you've been interviewed a lot about him and his legacy. So a few more questions. Then you, you got some stuff that I think is just fascinating going on. But one of the things I did want to know is like. You know, he, he did a lot of fiction writing, right? I mean, in, in a wide variety, too, from like uh, the, uh, oh, my goodness, brain. Come on, uh, pick, uh, pe, 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 uh, guy on Mars. Lucidor, yeah. Uh, from that stuff to the the, the Maze of Perils. Uh, Published Conan novel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he wrote a uh, crappy sequel to the Buck Rogers novel called Mordred, which you should all... Save your money and not buy. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm already looking it up. So no, no. <laughs> I'm actually going to promote something on today's show. Maharsa Pulsar is being reissued by Egress Bros Incorporated with a foreword by myself, and uh, Red Axe of Pulsar, which was never officially published, uh, is also going to be coming out from them at the end of the summer. They say. You can get your egress burrows in if you're into that. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of people like the, the Tarzan, which, I mean, those books are great. But but for me, uh, Pellucidor and the, a lot of the John Carter stuff, that's that's where it's at for me. So, I you know, I, I'll be excited to get that version of that book. Um, and then the, the, the Red Axe book, that was a deal that kind of like he had kind of gotten permission to do. But then at the end, they're like, well, now nah, we're, we're not going to publish it for one reason or another. Yeah, Mahars didn't sell that well, but uh, a lot of people really liked it, uh, including people in the Burroughs family. But then the um, people who controlled Agaris Burroughs' uh, estate at the time, it changed family members. So the family member who who loved uh, Mahars had to secede to another family member who who just saw that Mahars didn't sell very well. Thanks to the thanks to the grandson Holbort uh, Burroughs, who liked Mahars, my dad got in contact with John Coleman Burroughs, who is uh, Burroughs's son, who is a mediocre painter, and uh, he and uh, my dad met, and uh, they arranged for uh, eventually for my dad to finish an unfinished novel that John Coleman wrote, and that is going to be a future project. It's going to be called Danton Doring, and it has paintings which are actually quite good. By um, I shouldn't have said he was mediocre. He was mediocre compared to Frank <laughs> and the other people who were doing amazing uh, Edgarice Burroughs art at the time. It was really t- it was a really high bar there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was his background before he got into uh, he had been a, a pulp writer as a hobby. And did he ever? I mean. I guess I I was thinking it went the other way that he was kind of he well, uh, it makes sense now. But but at any rate, I was thinking he kind of hit the fiction stuff and it started going well for him. And he's like, ah, you know, don't need to write any more RPG stuff. <laughs> but did he ever think about or talk about writing anything else, his own system or other supplements or ventures for publication? I wish he had written a module. I think that was more his style. Uh, but at the when modules came out, we were we didn't really 
uh, sort of a take to them as the art form that they that they are. To me, they they seem like cheating. Like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, why would you run someone else's adventure? You're supposed to make up your own. So I think that uh, initially, you know, made him hesitant, and uh, he he wasn't really interested in rules, systems, and mechanics and stuff. Uh, he was really interested in telling stories, and um, it, he was good at explaining things. I don't think he ever had a game in his head that he that he was working on. Or... Well, the, the, so the module thing, he wasn't alone there at, at that, in that time period because TSR wasn't even putting out modules in, in, in early days. Hmm. They, did, they didn't think they did, did not think they would sell either. I mean, it was it was Pete Kerrison with We Warriors who who honestly created the whole the concept that that adventure concept. modules would actually sell. <laughs> and because uh, TSR was late late to the game on that completely, and and not through anyone's fault, it's just I think this it was it's interesting how you put that because that he was not alone in that thought process. I mean, Gary didn't think people would buy it either, so or or anyone at TSR at the time actually. So um, it's it's interesting to hear you say that from a whole other source here um, about that back in the day because they weren't. I mean, believe it or not, the first TSR, the first modules that TSR sold weren't even TSR modules. They they grabbed onto Pete Kirsten's uh, Palace of the Vampire Queen and Dwarven Glory and sold those um, basically for him. Uh, it was like later printings. It wasn't the first or second. He sold those out of the back trunk of his car. Um, but uh, it's it's fascinating though. It's it's such an interesting thing to hear you say that. Um, I think it's really cool. Yeah, it's its own insight, its own genre now. Yeah. And I'm not particularly good at it either, but some of your guests are excellent at it, obviously. Uh, because it's not writing just to be entertaining. And if it's if you spend too much time describing things or or telling lore or whatever, then you're losing the point. You need to, you know, you need to balance these things. And there's an art to it, I think. And and I get to do drawings for them occasionally. So that's another reason I write. <laughs> I said they're legitimate. <laughs> Well, you've got some wonderful art in uh, the book Blackblade put out, right? The uh, Tales of Peril, right? I got the name right. I want to make sure it's. It's been a while since I've, I've cracked my copy. I, I know they uh, they sold out of those. I think a while long, right when it came out, right? Um, so those are stories by your dad, but you have some illustrations in that book, if I remember correctly. That's right. When I was seventeen years old, I had an illustration printed in the Dragon Magazine to my dad's first story. And I thought, you know, my career was on a, the right path, um, but it, it didn't end up that way. <laughs> but I found my way back to that path now that I'm 60. <laughs> so, you know, it's always time for a renaissance. Never give up. <laughs> never give up. <laughs> back as a kid, was that, you know, did you have any, any desires to follow any of these these strikings that your father had as far as, you know, writing fiction or, or doing something with gaming? Or, or did you early on kind of want to be the artist? My, yeah, I took after my mother. She was a, uh, her, well, my gra- her, her grandfather was a professional illustrator. And my mother's a very good artist. And since my father read aloud to me so much as a child, I had a lot of time to sit and draw. And I... I always felt that that was my strongest suit. Although I've written and I've done other weird things in my life, um, I always felt that that's what I was best at. But I never really got good at drawing attractive people. I was really good at drawing ugly monsters and ugly. So <laughs> it didn't didn't really work out to be a path after all. 
got, I got into theater and, and from acting, I got into making props and painting and uh, set design. And, and I was a scenic painter for 20 years. And that was a fun, wow. that was a fun life. I, I enjoyed it. It's uh, I, I've done that for my, the school that I work at for several years, uh, did their backdrops and stuff like that. And when I first agreed to it, all I knew is, you know, I, I could paint a little picture half decent, but that's, that's a whole nother monster when you're trying to paint something that from 50 foot away looks like you want it to look uh, yep. and how, how different that looks up close. And you only have two days to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, and you're working from, you know, 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. or whatever. <laughs> and they can afford like four colors of paint. Pick <laughs> <laughs> any four, any four you want, as long as one of them is white, one of them is black. <laughs> and the other two are the ones we already have on stock. <laughs> <laughs> well, you blew it because you yeah, need the they... three primaries. <laughs> 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 All right. Are we for um, uh, the Tower of Xenopus or Z? Sure. <laughs> Uh, well, actually, if we could just a, a few more minutes, a few more minutes on the interview, because because one of the things I really wanted to have you on for is uh, the, the thing that you do at conventions. You, you come to conventions with some games that you've designed on your own that you've you've you know made kind of sometimes boards and, and, and pieces for them. And, and this is something that, you know, I myself, when I was a kid, I did all the time, especially before my parents allowed me to actually play D&D. And I think there's a lot of people in the hobby that do this, that, that, that make their own game, not with the intention to publish, not with the intention to show it off to the world, but just to, to share with friends and enjoy. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about, you know, is that something you've always done or how did that come to be and, and what's your process? Well, I think uh, when I first thought, decided I wanted to run a game at the con, I was scared that if I ran my version of uh, Holmes Basic, that my players would rebel and say, you're too wrong you're you're a disgrace <laughs> so i uh my first idea was i would run a pellucidar uh game uh, yes idea my dad had and uh i had some cave people that i'd made left over from a game of cave master i played with my friends so i was halfway there i i just needed cars <laughs> and some lizard people and uh, i was good to go and then the next year i i wanted i decided i wanted to do something totally new and weird um i think that year i did a game based on 1980s movie superheroes or tv superheroes or whatever anyway so that was really weird and fun and, and i was like well let me do something totally different than what i did last year and i just i've been trying to you know surprise myself every year i love this this is what conventions are all about too i think uh is just doing something totally off the wall and totally different and getting a chance to do that and and that you bring that, uh, Chris, to, you know, to, I, so let me backtrack. So you go to North Texas, right? So you go to any other conventions? Because I, I, I went to Pig Faced Orc convention. Uh, in, uh, <laughs> where is that? Anyway, it was, it was a five hour drive or something. <laughs> I, I have heard of it. It's, it's down yeah. your neck of the way. I know that. Yeah. Myself. Yeah. But no, just uh, just North Texas works in my schedule and has uh, gotcha. latched into my heart as well. Absolutely. Right. I, yeah. One of the silver linings of the of the pandemic was I when I decided to be foolish enough to go to the con, I got to play with Doug uh, Rhea mm -hmm. because there were there weren't enough players that, I, that normally I wouldn't get to sit at the table because it was already full. But 
I got yeah. to, I got to play with him two days in a row. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I always meet new, make new friends and then, you know, I, I don't want to stop going. As long as my wife lets me, I'll keep coming. <laughs> That's awesome. On the, <laughs> on the games, do you normally, is, are you inspired by like the materials you have and what you can create out of them? Or is it the idea first? And then, I mean, I mean, how does the process normally work for you? Uh, yeah, the idea, well, like the game you played in, uh, was based on a novel by Marion Zimmer Bradley called uh, Hunters of the Red Moon, which I read when I was a teenager. And I always thought it would make a great movie. And so it sort of stuck in my head. Uh, and I, then I decided it would make a great role-playing game. And uh, so then after that, I go to, can I have eight characters that are interesting? And then from thinking about eight characters, I go to character sheets and generating characters. And then I, I, which I really enjoy doing, I especially enjoy um, getting rid of the wisdom characteristic and the charisma characteristic because those have always <laughs> bothered me. So I get a great joy out of saying, well, no wisdom, no. <laughs> Let's see what we can do with this. So um, it's partly that I've, I'm, I'm partly creative and I'm partly very critical and, and like to re redo things that I think the right way. <laughs> and then I never really get my rules together enough, but I play it anyway. I think you you know, Louie, you were in a play test there and a, a couple didn't work very well. Yeah, that's what makes it interesting though, is to kind of see it like, you know, come to maturity on the spot there, you know? Yeah, I, always, awesome. I would rather make an interesting failure than like a boring, you know, another D&D game that works well, that doesn't surprise anyone, yeah. Uh -huh. Now the, uh, 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 the, the games that I've observed that you've brought to the con, uh, you always have these really cool figures that you've made, like, you know, found objects and, and sculpture, just kind of this hodgepodge of stuff that comes together to make this, you know, like, yeah, you had the one game that was, uh, I think it was a couple years back where everybody was on a spaceship and there were robots and astronauts and uh, stuff like that. Um, is there a place anyone can see that stuff? Because to me, uh, it is just so just uh, uh, it, it's got that like folk art feel to it. Uh, I mean, I would love to see a gallery of your creations. <laughs> it's definitely crude. It was done quickly, mostly with Sculpey. <laughs> Sculpey and John. Yeah. I'll, well, I'll take more pictures next time, I guess. I'm, I'm a fan. <laughs> I was a big fan of your game, too. <laughs> Uh, it's a, it's just a whole nother thing though. Like it doesn't have that like heart and soul like yours does. I mean, it's, I don't know. Uh, but, uh, it's, you know, it's like a hobby within a hobby. And, and I've, you know, like I said, I know there are other people out there that, that, uh, are kind of in that mind space of creating a game just because it's there in their mind and they got to get it out. And it's, you know, a labor of love and something to share with their, their fellow gamers. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's just thrilling to see, man. It really is. Well, thank you. I, I wouldn't mind if somebody said, hey, I love this idea and I want to give you money for it. <laughs> but thank you. All right. Well, anybody have any last minute questions? I, I know we're, especially with our late uh, start, we're burning through time here. I'm ready to jump into the Zenopus. 
<laughs> I, I, I've always called a Xenopus. Am I wrong? How, how did, no, how did you're not. Dad, uh, I, I'm probably completely wrong because I mispronounced this. Uh, I, I have no drow, idea. I'm just except, going with what yeah. my, my little except, child brain came up with. Except drow. Big, big confession. I can't remember what he called it. <laughs> you're all right. Everyone's right. Yay. It doesn't matter because we all know what we're talking about. So there it is. <laughs> there it is and why did you why did your dad hate us so much <laughs> dropping that, that four hit dice giant ass spider on us at first level yeah but <laughs> have you seen the gold in this game it, it was a love hate because you get rewarded out there at wazoo in it too that so. was my uh, that was my very first character death ever i had a first level magic user i got hit by that spider I didn't even need to make the saving versus poison because I died from the damage. Oh. That was awesome. It was just I'm so sorry. awesome. I'm like, what do you mean? What, what do you mean I'm dead? <laughs> Roll a new character. By a giant All right. rat, which is like <laughs> one of the giant less rats. glamorous than a giant spider, I think. Yes, it, absolutely. No, the giant spider is what, what got me, and uh, I'll, I'll, obviously, I'll never forget it. And uh, <laughs> it, it was so awesome. I mean, it just I came and that's. And it was like, okay, roll up a new. What do we? What do we do? It's like, I guess we roll up a new character. All right, here we go. Magic <laughs> user the second, Ralph the second. Here we go. <laughs> All right, we, we got to start this thing officially though. Here, okay, so uh, so we're in the the main meat of the program. This little segment we like to call this old dungeon. This old dungeon. And tonight we're talking about uh, Chris's father's, uh, what do they call it, Sample Dungeon dungeon. that comes in the blue box. Um, I don't know that it has a name other than Sample Dungeon in the box, if I recall. But I know everybody calls it the the Tower of Xenopus, the Ruins of Xenopus, um, the Dungeon of Xenopus. And again, we I, I don't know if that's the proper pronunciation. Is, that's just what yeah. I'm going with. The, the official name is definitely Sample Dungeon. It's sample in the book. Dungeon. It's Sample Dungeon in the book. But we, yeah, you're right. Most people do call it the, the Xenopus or Xenopus Dungeon or the Tower of Xenopus or, you know, uh, yeah. I think it's it's so well ingrained in the D&D lore. Everyone knows what you're talking about at this point. And I'm going to pass it over to Chris to talk about its origins, but I, I do want to ask, because Bill, I, f- I feel like you got more expertise on this. M- maybe Edwin, I, I don't know, but it, the white box had a sample dungeon, but if I remember correctly, it didn't really, have a really. keyed sample dungeon. It, it was just like was... Yeah, people call that. It was uh, it, it was Arneson, some of Arneson's Blackmore, um, Temple okay. of the Frog. It, but it's really not a sample dungeon. It's it's really not. I mean, it's like a map, and that's it. I mean, yes. it doesn't like tell you, oh, this is in that. This, and this, this is was there. the real deal. This was the real deal. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yep. So, Chris, what do you remember about it? Where did it come from? Uh, did you play it before it was released? I'm laughing because I don't remember very much. <laughs> we'll just make something up. Nobody will know. <laughs> <laughs> just remember the next podcast. My friend Eric Frazier assures me that I did uh, play test it with him. <laughs> we played first level characters, um, and apparently it went well because I don't remember dying. And that that's the, th- the thing. If my character didn't do something extremely clever or die, I, ha- I don't remember my <laughs> adventures. So, uh, yes, 
do, I can tell you one thing, which is my father complained that writing the, the basic set uh, was kind of more work than he thought it would be. <laughs> it was harder. He thought it would be easier. But he said <laughs> he really enjoyed doing the sample dungeon and that was his favorite part. So ah. it, it's nice to hear that for other people, it's their favorite part as well. Uh, it, it, yeah. So this was actually uh, the first time I'd read this. This is all, all brand new to me. I skipped, uh, I came in with AD&D and I never looked backwards until recently. So this, this has been kind of fun, but I, the, I feel like I could feel the fun as I was reading it. Like this, the, the way it's written is obviously somebody who's excited to share this experience of running into a dungeon and helping out the GMs. Like, here's how you do this. And here's how you do that. And it felt very um, sort of light and friendly as opposed to um, the language I'm used to in the, you know, the Gygax language, which was, which was definitely, you know, put your thumb down on the players. And, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> and so I, I really, this was like, it felt, it felt fun. I, I enjoyed it. That was sort of my first impression of, of reading through this. It was just, that it was, uh, yeah, it was very friendly. I mean, obviously it's deadly. That that's fine, but it was deadly in a in a friendly way. Well, so it's it's deadly in a narrative storytelling well too, storytelling way too, because it, it isn't just a a a monster hotel. I mean, it, you can right, you, right. you look at the map and you think, okay, monster hotel, but it doesn't. When you read it, it doesn't read it. But you, I mean, you can absolutely tell Chris that your dad was letting the creative juices fly here because there's diff, there's so much going on in this small area. Um, you know, we've got trap rooms. We've got um, you know, empty rooms and you've got, then you've got, you know, monster rooms and you've got everything, you know, there's a reason for a lot of the things that are there and how it sequences through. So, you know, we got, well, I think what we have, what makes this thing so endearing to people um, is well, one, a lot for a lot of us was our first experience uh, playing in a dungeon, but, but even not because it, it just works so well as a sample. Dungeon. Well, I think, I think it, what's, what's interesting to me is that, it works on two levels and that there's actually two reasons for everything that are there. And that's, yep. what's rare. Yep. There's the reason of the narrative reason, but there's also the reason of we need to show people how X works, how to traps mm -hmm. work, how to monster works, how to tricks work. Exactly. And so to be able to do both of those at the same time, that's what I thought was, that's what really impressed me. I was like, wow, that's a, that's, that's some work to make it because it's easy. It's easy to say, okay, what are the, you know, seven or eight things that, you know, you, that are in a dungeon. Okay, let me throw them in a dungeon. That way the, the GM has seen them. But then to take all of those things and in, in pretty, I mean, what is it? Two pages, three pages? I mean, yeah, it's, it's pretty short. Yeah. And it's a small, it's a small map, a small dungeon and, and you know, half of it's empty. But the other half is is just packed with with goodness, with sort of like, you know. <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was really fun. I enjoyed, that was a nice, a nice, uh, a little bit of lesson on the uh, adventure design really yeah it, you know yeah. like i said playing through it as a player it really makes you want to see what's in the next room you know what's going to happen next because there are it's a, there's enough variety here to keep everyone on their toes and it is lethal as hell of course but that's, <laughs> that's awesome too, so. chris the the backstory that your father gives in it, uh, the whole, uh, you know, Xenopus coming to power, searching for this uh, formerly established city that's kind of in ruins underneath the current city, uh, the, the pirates and all this stuff. Was any of that from your guys's home campaign or is that all, you know, fresh cuts for this sample dungeon? I think it, 
his uh, his original dungeon was designed to, to be a nice place for a purple worm to reside. And uh, that's that's what you might call the maze of peril, the one that was became the novel. But this one, he he was trying to do what Edwin said. He was trying to show everything you need to have in a dungeon and also to some narrative hooks and some ideas that, you know, you could later build on. It wasn't until a, a few years ago that the um, Michael Thomas, I think his name is, the guy who did the Blue Home, suggested to me that the ancient city was built by the, the elder things from Lovecraft or some other ancient Lovecraftian deities or beings. And I thought, yeah, it probably was. That was probably in dad, the back of dad's mind, but he never mentioned it. <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, I th it wasn't from the games. Uh, it was just new stuff that he came up with. Um, I mean, he knew, uh, you know, he knew I liked octopi. So he put a giant octopus in and things <laughs> that I could say, you know, yeah, there's a giant crab because maybe he saw um, that Ray Harryhausen movie with the giant crab or oh, Mysterious Island. Mysterious yeah. Island, yeah. But maybe it was just a giant crab. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. <laughs> I think it's telling that there's a, there's a, not a princess, but there's a, a woman who needs rescuing and there's pirates and there's a, uh, there's a wizard who has a character charmed and who once has a gorilla in a cage. Those are all very pulpy things. Yeah. And they may have been in other adventures that we had, but no, this was, uh, this was pretty much an, a, a quick, new, original thing he came up with. I just love that he originally wanted to put a purple worm in the first level dungeon. I think that's really <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, he... he uh, admiration is growing by the minute. <laughs> the, he, he broke the two uh in his own dungeon his own first dungeon he broke two of uh, the rules you're supposed to follow there's only one empty room and that was because he he thought we might need to hide in it there was no wandering monsters there was one wandering monster and that was the purple worm and he was always there and we could not defeat him <laughs> run away from him all the time <laughs> Oh, feeling like the movie's tremor or the movie tremors here popping up all the time chasing you wow it, it, for being such an early piece of, of you know pre-established uh you know adventure or whatever pre-generated adventure um i mean i i was so surprised reading it again just i mean it's, i mean it's all been mentioned but just like the rooms all have a, a character to them and a charm to them it's it's I don't know. One of the things I would improve a little bit is, is the ecology of it and some of the organization of it. But I think your, your dad, you know, that's why those empty rooms are there is they're the pieces that fill in the rest of the puzzle um, as the game master, you know, puts what they want in there. But the fact that it's just like everything's nuanced, everything's got, you know, like you said that, you know, you go up the tower and there's the gorilla in the cage there in the wizard's work lab you know, what's he doing with the gorilla? What's the plan there? You know, and there's so much that just sparks your imagination. It's, it is, I think, uh, I, you know, I'm not just saying it's because we have you on the program, but now that I've reread it, I really do think it's probably the best sample dungeon that I've ever read out of all the editions. I mean, it just really turns your gears instantly and gives you something to run with. Well, say something critical. Come on. <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> You know, we, we do have to talk about what we'd fix and what we'd do different. And so I did run this, uh, you know, tonight I, I kind of 
sat down uh, in the afternoon, kind of reworked some things, changed some things how I would like them, filled in those empty rooms. And, and, and that's, I mean, the one thing that it does have going that's that as a game master, I feel like you got to be aware of and work with is, is there's a lot of strata to it. You've got the the whole backstory of this wizard Xenopus who is either dead or has moved on to somewhere beyond the, the his, you know, former, you know, tower. Um, so, you know, you've got that story going on. You've got the ancient civilization that was that the, the catacombs, you know, interact with. So you got to figure out, you know, what are you doing with that? You've got these goblins, this wizard and these pirates <laughs> and you got to figure out, well, what are their relationships with each other and what's going on there? Um, you know, so, so there is some stuff that you got to go into, you know, realizing that if you don't already have a plan, then you're going to be stuck with a lot of, um, uh, uh, well, I don't know why the, you know, goblins are camped out in this giant room. Um, so that, I think that's one thing. I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think? What, what I would, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I feel like if I were, like you were talking about adding stuff to the rooms, I feel like I would actually eliminate like, like there's, I feel like there's four or five storylines and I'm not a good enough GM to, to make those all happen. I feel like I would eliminate, like, I like that they are there because it, again, it introduces us to the idea of having either this or that or the other thing, but I would struggle to do all of them. The other thing that I struggled to understand. Um, so in the background, it talks about, you know, that the towers have been raised and there's just the ruins and stuff. And then you go into this map and you're at the base of a tower and then you, and I, I, I can't, I don't understand the tower. Like there is a uh -huh. tower there, but there's no tower. And so, I was like, <laughs> so I think I might eliminate the tower unless I, or put it in another plane. I don't know what I would, but somehow the, yeah, that, that baffled me. I yeah, like, so oh. I, I ended up kind of looking at the same thing and what I ended up doing is saying, well, you know, you got like, there was the towers in abyss, which was this, you know, big complex. And then this was like a little guard tower kind of thing. Right. A little and it's still there. Thing. Part of it's still there. Nobody cared about it. You know, but but I, yeah, I, that like, was a, I feel like that was what we call I feel like you'd have to mention. <laughs> <laughs> right. Cause you, I mean, that's the first thing the adventurers are going to see when they show up. It, it, right? And that Before did shoot me down, in the foot gonna... too. That, that right. shot me in the foot. Cause I was like, okay, you got these stairs. And then there's a guard tower off in the distance. Like, let's go to the guard tower. Let's climb up it. And go. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was fun though. Yeah, I, I think I, I think guys are all you're hitting on exactly what I've been thinking. You know, when we first kind of brought this idea to bring this to the podcast, you know, what would I do? And my first thought was, I, I don't want to do anything to it because I have such a sentimental attachment to this to the sample dungeon. I I would never want to change a thing. But uh, that said, um. For, for people who who know about me and Paysetter, we, we have kind of sequeled a lot of old TSR adventures and that kind of thing. And, and this sample dungeon is actually, we, I started working on an expansion and kind of a redo of this this thing and then building some more levels onto it years and years ago. And I still have it in, in file folders that eventually I'll get back to and do something with. But, you know, thinking back on that, for me, you know, to, if I wanted to rearrange this spot adventure and, and run it in my home campaign and not just as it is out of the book, because I, I love the idea of just saying, okay, well, we're going to roll up a character right out of homes and, and play this adventure. That to me, that would be perfectly fine. Um, but if I wanted to remaster this thing, let's call it, uh, the map's going to have to get fixed. And, and one of the reasons the map's going to have to get fixed is because there is a lot going on and I love what's going on, but it does need to get, it needs to get spread out a little bit to if you want to tell this whole story and put this all together okay let's and, and you know to be fair the, he says right at the end hey if you want to expand this this gives you lots of ideas 
you should make more levels and do that kind of thing. It's exactly what you need to do. Just make a few more levels, take some of this upper stuff, lower it, you know, put it maybe on a lower level, give everyone, you know, we could link these things together. If I were going to remaster it for that kind of purpose, that's what I would do. And I would absolutely do something with a crumbling shattered tower uh, is the first thing that the PCs walk upon. And, and I actually, if I were in Michigan, I'd pull my old, you know, my hand-drawn maps out and show you what I did with it. Uh, you know, when I first started thinking, thought about doing this and just never got back to it. Um, Cause I do think that the tower or the base arts, it needs to be there. Uh, it's so evocative, right? I think uh, a map of some sort of the graveyard and tower and that kind of the above ground stuff a little bit would really do a lot to yeah, uh, yeah. bring this more to life, you know? So I'm not saying you got to map out the whole town and do all that. It, again, if I were looking at it through with, in sitting in that chair saying, this is what I want, this is how I would remaster it. Those are the ways I would go. You know, there's a whole other side of Bill Barsha that says, do not touch this with a 10 foot pole, it's gold. I don't do, it. do that. <laughs> yeah. See, I feel like that kind of goes against the, like, if I were to take this as gold, what's gold about it is this is meant to be messed with, right? This is a sample. This is yes. not, this is not a published adventure. This is a sample. And I think, I think in that sense, uh, I agree with you that it's that, you know, take it for what it is, but I don't know that that I don't, yeah, I, I couldn't run it uh i mean i, I could run it if, if somebody if somebody you know held my hand behind my back i could run it as written so, but yeah so i think what, uh, how i'm saying that everyone is i you know like i said if i were just going to play this today with a group of people um i would do a lot of work to it to fit into like one yeah. of my campaign things yeah. but if if i want to take a bunch of people who had never experienced homes oh yeah if you, right, if you just came I, over and brought a six-pack and that's exactly how i'm trying to put yeah. this that you know, and yes. I know I've said that before about some other products too that we reviewed here and talked about that. There's some things, you, you know, I, I, you just love the way it was and mm -hmm. it'd be so cool to let people experience that who've never seen it the way it was and have them sit at a table that I could just see them scratching their heads. Wait, this happened? What's happening? What's going on? Um, well, I feel, I feel like you couldn't run this. I don't think you could run this as a one-shot uh, in the sense that there are so many questions. There's that, a lot going on. Here. That, like this, this is this is a campaign starter. No, oh, right? this, is. Is, this is not meant as a as a convention game. This is not a a closed story. This is a we're going to sit down and ten years later we're going to get up and you yeah, know when I, when I, <laughs> all these threads that are just yeah. When, I, when I said I, when I started working on this project a long time ago, one of my TSR <laughs> revision things. It's just uh, there's stuff going everywhere. Uh, it, it really yeah. does when you get into it it does it, it gives you a lot of pathways to to explore uh and to create and that's you know it's it's something that i need more time to devote to than i had at the, at the time when i really wanted to do it so um but it's something that i will get back to at some point and other people have to be fair you know um a few osr publishers have done things with this um, I'm trying yeah, to putting some five E stuff out there too. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, Ghost Assault Marsh uh, has it in it. Yeah, Chris, did you know anything about that before it came out? Did they say, "Hey, we're going to reuse your dad's tower"? Uh, he's an opus is going to show up. I worked uh, with Zach Taylor. I did a drawing for uh, his five E. Uh, yeah, so I did a drawing of the octopus uh, for that. So I was aware of that, and somebody gave me a copy of. Uh, something called what? Xenopus, which I think was a, a second level. 
uh, and that was fun. I, I actually played a little bit of that with my group. So yeah, I was kind of aware of it. Yeah. Any? What was the What was the title of that one, Chris? I'm sorry, mm -hmm. I, you broke up a little bit. Uh, I played a little bit of uh, uh, What Depths Xenopus. Uh, yeah, that's our. That I thought that's what you said. That's actually we ran that as a tournament at Texas about four years ago. Cool. That was uh, yeah part of our part of us their pace setter anyway. We did that. Um, and I'm surprised I never got a chance to talk to you about that, actually. We will, we'll, we'll sit down next year and shoot the shit about it. But, yeah. I think you so, gave me that copy then. There it is. See, there yeah. it is. My memory <laughs> and I, sucks. And I played it with my teenage uh, uh, group, and I enjoyed it. I love a good uh, Aztec temple with lizard. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's just, yeah, it's a monster. It's definitely more of a monster hotel than, than the sample done. But, um but no, there's a couple other OSR companies that I know have done like like a lot of work on this, and and I'm drawing a blank off the top of my head, and I have to put it up to myself for, to do homework for next month's episode, and I'll, I'll give you guys a list of uh, people who have done stuff because a lot a lot has been done, a lot has been done, and um, I know it's Joel Sparks is the owner of one of the companies, <sighs> Monkey something. They did a whole they got a whole module on it. Um, Monkey Blood Games? Yes, that... Monkey Blood. And it's been a while, several years ago, actually. So I remember I've seen a copy at GaryCon, I think, probably, God, six, seven, eight years ago now. Hmm. But I know it's a couple other people have done stuff with it, too. So it's got legs. It's definitely got legs. <laughs> yeah. So, Chris, did you did you have some thoughts on, on things that you normally do when you're – or I guess I'm assuming you probably run this for other people at times. Are there things you normally do with it, paths you like to take? I've only run it. I've only run it once uh, for, for teenagers. I think it's a great first um, exposure to, uh, to the game. So at cons, no, I never, partly because I, you know, I don't use all my dad's rules. I, I, uh, I, I use my own weird rules. So like I said, I don't want a rebellion. <laughs> I thought that was one of the cool things about it also is the way that it presents things is different than what we're used to from a and d module like the monsters in, in some instances are kind of baked into the room, like the rules that are given. It's like, these are the rules for the room, which includes, you know, these attacks by these, you know, rats or whatever. Um, it, it's, it's not as, you know, we're used to having, Oh, this is what the room looks like. Here's the monster stats, you know, run it like a, a war game or combat simulation or whatever, whereas it had a different. It definitely. It, it felt, it felt like it felt unbaked, not in a bad sense, but this was obviously before, we as a group had decided what it modules should be like because <laughs> sure. this is like somebody sort of putting out an idea of hey here's a thing and i that that was really fun to see somebody think because i feel like so much of uh what we do and have done for decades like we're trying to be creative in terms of what the adventure is and what the story is but in terms of what a module looks like for D D, like that hasn't changed a lot like some of the other systems do different things and that's super exciting to me but yeah so i did i did i did catch on that also i was like yeah this is this is a fun sort of early the evolution of it all right concept. Yeah, yeah an evolution exactly yeah i can see where things came from uh, reading this yeah and like like we've talked about before i mean that all kind of ties into you know why you know there's a giant spider in here because we're, this is going to be a, your first introduction to saving throw versus poison, right? Uh, or saving throws in general, or the wizard with the wand of, 
paralyzation. Paral- uh, petrification. So, petrification. You know, yeah. you got to make a saving throw versus wand, right? So it was. It's really cool how how all that was integrated in this adventure um, to give you such a small thing, such a lot of content to explore the different aspects of D&D rules. It, it's, it does it so well, you know, it hides it really well also, I think. And that's, I think that was your dad's storytelling ability coming through. I think he saw all this said, Hey, I've got these mechanics. How, how can I make this fun? Okay. Let's, Let's start telling a story here. And uh, that's, I think, why we have so much story in this mm. this little sample dungeon too, right? So, which is, again, to me, really, really cool. But, you know. Thank uh, you. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, again, if we talk about this old dungeon, you know, and this is the old dungeon. So I think uh, I think what most of us are saying here is that, you know, if you wanted to run this as part of your campaign, if you wanted to pick this up and say, I'm going to put this, start my campaign and we're run the sample dungeon. There is just so much you could do with it. You probably do need to do with it to make it work in that vein, as opposed to, Hey, we're going to play Holmes D and D tonight and we're going to do something, you know, maybe a lot of people have never had a chance to do before. Uh, I think it's super cool that it's still out there. People can do it. Sure. So uh, anybody want to get rid of the empty rooms like I do? <laughs> Yeah, well, I, no, I want to fill them. I just want to fill them. Mm-hmm. It's, it, again, you know, Edwin was coming at this right as, as kind of a, you know, as a, you know, you you put your designer hat on, and um, God, nothing to you have to. Ha- I mean, you have to have them sometimes. You just do uh, because you just can't have room after room after room after room. But, but mm-hmm. man, in, a, in a, an adventure like this, I just want to stick something in every room. I, I don't big or small. Uh, I just want it to keep going. You don't want the fun to end, right? You don't want the fun to end. One of the things I found helpful is like color coding which parts of the dungeon are are the old, old parts and which parts are ones that, you know, the wizard put there. Um, and then the empty room, there's there's two empty rooms down by the, the stone statue that opens doorways yes. that are across from each other. Uh, and so I made one of those. Uh, the machine work that moves the statues and the doors. And I made the other one like a big vat of oil that like lubricates all that stuff. Uh, it's always fun to have players dive into oil and then get lit on fire and stuff by one of those <laughs> goblins, you know. <laughs> I think green slime might have been a good choice too. Yeah. There it is. As a lubricant. <laughs> there it is. There's another neat aspect. Of, you know, we talk about rooms that do different things, different aspects of the game. You know, we, we think of D&D as a, a game of spells and monsters and all those kinds of things and traps in, a, in, a, in another way. But it was really neat that, that you have a room in this, this dungeon, which doesn't have anything to do with the rules whatsoever. Everything in that room is completely made up out of whole cloth, right? I mean, there's nothing in the rules that talk about doors that only open because of magical device within the room. So I think it's, it's so neat to, for new people to be able to read something like that and say, to be able to think outside the box. There's so much of that needs to be done when dungeon design. And, and there we have a perfect example of it, right? So I was I was trying to convey that to one of the people I'm working with. He's do, doing some 5e translation for us. And he was like, you know, talking to me about rules and stuff. And I was like, the dungeon and the monsters and anything that the publisher publishes, we can all cheat. Like the yeah. rules do not apply. <laughs> you don't need to sweat this stuff. <laughs> sometimes you want to come up with a reason for why but yeah and then i because the same thing that there was some nice yeah as you say there's some nice 
cheating in here um, in the sense that uh, we're going to make up rules because this is what I want because it's cool. happened. This right? is what I want the players to, to experience. Yeah. yeah, I got a really cool idea. Well, there's no rule for that. I don't care. I'm. I'm. There, there is now. So. <laughs> there, is, there is now. <laughs> yeah, I think Gygax probably did it too. He would. He would say, you know, this room is anti gravity or whatever. This room. Yeah. Well, right. well you know, Gary had a whole. Yeah. That's Gary had a whole malevolent <laughs> thing about that kind of stuff. So. <laughs> But some of his ideas are I, I like. I mean, I like the idea of anti-gravity yeah. or, or you know, the players. I don't like the idea of changing their sex, but you know, choose the ones you like. They're not. They're not all have to be used in a mean way. You know, mm-hmm. exactly. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think the idea of the idea of cheating, of breaking the rules, going outside the box. That's the important part. And then how you do it. Obviously, I mean, you can be a jerk within the rules uh, too. Like that. That doesn't take anything. <laughs> right. Anything special. Right. <laughs> We'll say the the layout of it, the way, and, and a lot of it's probably my, my decisions for the empty rooms. But my players kind of witnessed like a bunch of rooms that were sort of combat centric because they moved up kind of on the right side of the map through like the ghouls and stuff yeah. and the rats, uh, and then like all the intrigue stuff that's baked in most of it anyhow is all on the left hand bottom side of the map. So that is an interesting thing I never thought about is you know balancing encounters. You know, not just by percent regionally, but regionally, yeah. 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 Spreading them out. Yeah. That's kind of what my, my point was on the whole map thing, right? I, I just think that the map needs to be completely redone to to balance the whole adventure a little more in in a lot of the ways we think we're talking about. I think you know, there's nothing wrong with this map. It's it's cool. It's old. Um, it's nostalgic, um, but it also you know it's 2022. So I'll, most most of our players today look at things a lot differently. Uh, nothing wrong with that, uh, obviously. But uh, I, I think for me, I don't. I love the content of the adventure. So I I think again I wouldn't change too much of that. But I do think uh, I'm a I'm I can be a map guy at times, and I think this is really needs that touch, right? And and, and good maps are, and you know, Chris, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but I think good maps are also kind of pieces of art to themselves. So you know, us DMs are staring at them all day long when we're playing something. So that's kind of an interesting question. Is this was this map drawn by your father, or did somebody at TSR put this together? The, the actual one that got printed, that is. I think uh, I think he drew it in pencil and they inked it, but I'm uh-huh. I'm not really sure. Yeah, he. I, he I can tell you right now, it looks it looks like that. that yeah, it's got like a very hand drawn. I like, mean, yeah, I, I just. Yeah, I, I don't think uh, it is. Sutherland did a lot of their maps back then. This doesn't look mm. like anything he ever did. Mm. So uh, it doesn't have, I don't know, I hate to say it, it doesn't have that artist touch to it, right? This has well, I, this has a Bill Barr I mean, like, touch to it, but all the lines aren't straight. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Well, yeah, I, I get what you're saying now. I was going to say, because I, I feel like it is artistic as far as like, you know, I can tell, hey, that's a river and those, you know, uh, but but yeah, it's not like a like an architect where you're using, you know, your yeah. drafting table and, you know, yeah, yeah. but it, I mean, if, to me, that almost gives it, I mean, you see this with the, the Goodman Games maps that uh, <laughs> Doug Kovac does, sure. that it's almost like now a thing to show that, you know, a human being put this together and it's, you know, the, the jitter of their hand is like, mm-hmm. it gives it almost mystique or, 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 I don't know, spirit of its own. Yeah, so uh, 
if your memory fails you, let's let's look at the circular room. Yeah. 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 Not quite a circle. Yeah. A, little, a little more yeah. shape. It's hey. how I would draw a circle, but it's not really a circle. <laughs> like a doctor would drive. <laughs> I, I don't know if you've ever heard of um he did a book called Fantasy Role-Playing Games, which was mostly reviews of the products that were out at the time. But uh, yeah. As yeah. A, he has a sample dungeon in it that you can play with a six-sided die yourself, the sort of uh, choose-your-own-adventure kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But map in it is drawn by him, and there's a little, I think there's a little cartoon of a, a creature of some kind. Or a, um, he, was, he was a good cartoonist. His cartoons are very simple, but very... Uh, very cute and uh, yeah, I'm looking at the cr the, the cross section of the of, of this the sample dungeon too. Yeah, that, well, that's a separate dungeon. Isn't that one cool with the skull and everything? That was somebody else. I think that was Sutherland, oh, okay. but it yeah, wasn't it, my dad. Yeah, it's definitely different. Yeah, it's definitely different. You can you can absolutely outside yeah. looking at these are these are two different hands doing this work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Real quick note, because I got to throw it out there on the uh, the circular room we're talking about. There's a giant snake in that room. And like I said, my players ended up coming down from the tower and I'm like, ah, crap. They just went through like all the good stuff, you know, like the big treasures and stuff. Yeah. And so I was like, I got to do something here. So I put a cowbell on the snake. So like when it, <laughs> you know, when they start to interact with it, you know, all, all bets are off, all the goblins and the, everybody in the whole complex knows they're there. So, uh, <laughs> so if, if, if they happen, if that happens to you out there, listeners, cowbell the snake, that's the solution. I love Raise that this dungeon idea, up. Get it going. A oh, mean dungeon master. <laughs> hey, they gotta earn it, right? It doesn't feel good unless you earn it. <laughs> oh man, um, I know it's getting late, Chris. Uh, we got two more segments we normally do, and you can choose to do whatever you want to do here, and we'll just we'll <clears throat> make it work either way. We got the geek credit segment, and then we also normally do the mailbag. Uh, you can stay for both or we can do one and then skip out. Or if you need to go now, we'll, we'll just figure it out how we got to figure it out. I will stay for both. All right. Let's do mailbag first. Then. You can tell he's from Texas, man. He just... <laughs> <laughs> Even though I'm from California. Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. Oh, my. Uh, I'm going to have to edit that out, man. We're going to lose our <laughs> listenership here. They all know yeah. where I'm from, boy. <laughs> We just got a letter. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. Wonder who it's from. My opinion is letter writer is a total wacko. All right. Well, we got a few letters we need to get to tonight. So uh, in our uh, letters to the Homeowners Association, uh, we had a, three of them come in. Uh, I'm going to start with one. Uh, this was more or less, uh, you know, you guys know we're doing the, the uh, play at home version of Geek Credit now where if you write in, you can win a prize. Uh, if you're if your name's drawn to be matched up with our guest and um, you can either do that by just writing in and saying, hey, I want to be part of the home game or you can write us a letter and you automatically get entered for doing that. So uh, Daniel Craddock, uh, he wrote and he was just wanting to enter in, I think, the, for the, the home game. He says, hello, I'm interested in gaming stuff, particularly D&D related. I like minis and dice a lot. Also, <laughs> like dungeon tiles. I want a chance to win a prize. Thanks. I love this. This was great. Thanks, Daniel. Yeah. Is there a but, question uh, so, in there, Daniel, somewhere? Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it, 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 any comments on liking minis, dice, D&D uh, &D stuff? I, can, I cannot dice? believe we have listeners that like minis and dice. I'm, 
<laughs> I'm just. Oh. I'm okay with the minis and dice, but but dungeon tiles, really, really dungeon tiles. No, I'm just kidding. All right, so uh, dungeon tiles. <laughs> Daniel, thank you for writing in. Yeah, you'll you'll be part of the list. We'll, we'll roll off on that in just a moment, which reminds me that I did not come into the recording closet with my dice. So uh, I've, got, I, I've got a die here. Some, I'm prepared. Right. Got a I got you. That's a good. <laughs> even better. We gotta we gotta do that. Is there a chip for one through three, or, or even we do one through four? I'm, four, I'm gonna pull. Yeah, while you guys are, I'm not gonna do the first. Yeah, keep going. I'll find the chip. Buy chip. I love it. I love it. All right. <laughs> Next, right in, uh, Larry Hot, um, or Hout. Uh, apologize if I'm pronouncing it wrong. Uh, how about you guys tell us your favorite retro clone or really old game you like to pull out from time to time? Maybe something for a con game. And yeah, I want to win some geek credit stuff too. Please and thank you. All right, you're in awesome, awesome Larry. So, Chris, how about you? Are there any retro clones? Is that something that you've uh, you've gotten into, or if not, old games you like to bring to cons? Uh, I'm famous for recreating the wheel every time I go to a con. <laughs> That's the best. Any retro clone that wants me to draw a picture for it is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> There's supposed to be one based on Scooby-Doo that uh, some guy in Ireland was going to make. I hope that comes out. I, I know there's there was one. Oh, my goodness. What is it called? Uh, there was one that was done in, I want to say, the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. Um, and um, you know what? Uh, save for half. Half did it. Yeah. Did a, they, uh, they, they reviewed it. Picked I don't, it I don't for know the name, but yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, so there's there's another. I knew there, there's also one. If I remember right, there's one coming out that's like, I, I think they had to rename it. But it was originally when it was going through the the test play con phase, it was called Scooby Thool, where it was like Call <laughs> Cthulhu and, and the Mystery Gang. Um, but uh, but this is something different, huh? This is straight up uh, kind of rolling with the Scooby Doo theme, huh? Yeah, I don't know if Lovecraft's spinning in his grave over that one, but <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. How about you, Edwin? I mean, I've I've definitely been enjoying the heck out of OSC recently. Um, and I think, you know, I certainly in the D&D world, uh, I mean, I pull out 1E if I want to do something old and fun as a con game. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I enjoy playing. Like whenever I show up at a con, one of the things that I look for is an old game that I haven't played. Um, but I don't know that I have a like a go-to on it. And I think part of it is because I didn't have any, I mean, I, I only have one old game. Well, that's not true. I have two old games. So as a kid, I played AD&D, and then I had a copy of Man, Myth, and Magic, which I remember trying to play with a friend. It was a box set. Is that um, the Avalon Hill one? With like the it was horrible. Leo, I, don't, I don't remember. Really it was a horrible one. game, and uh, and I've I've looked it up. You know, more recently, I was sort of curious about it because it's one of the few things I've also gotten rid of. And I don't even remember when. And I looked it up, and I was like, most of the people were like, "I ah, I bought this again thirty years later, and boy, is it not worth it." <laughs> <laughs> don't get in that trap. <laughs> so so for me, like the only the only like there's, so there's only one real nostalgia game and all the other games are simply old games. Um, and so I like them, but I don't have any, you know, I don't have that that same sense of going back to them. Mm. Um, 
and so yeah so i won't say they're definitely not all the same obviously and i prefer some over others but but for me they're all new games you know the last well i guess 10 15 years um even though some of them are 40 years old <laughs> yeah for, for me it's going to be boot hill i love playing it like especially at conventions um i love playing boot hill out i mean i know uh, as far as a retro clone um I, don't know, I, I enjoy Swords and Wizardry a lot. Like it's a, I think it's a great game. Boy, I don't, you know, I, I don't know off the top of my head any any others that you know. I, I'll play just about anything. So, but you know, I'm and I like a lot of retro clones, obviously. But uh, you know, we've done we've done some ourselves. But uh, I think, uh, yeah, Boot Hill. I love playing out. You know, just just playing that Western game. It's just to me is a lot of fun, especially especially conventions. It's a great kind of game. I'll, I'll jump on that one because, I mean, I got a lot of old games. I prefer really to play the old games just because it's what I, you know, it's all all nostalgia. But um, I've for a very long time, I, I like Boot Hill, but I, I never felt like it played well as a role-playing game. It's not. Uh, yeah. It, it's so I've always wanted the perfect Western, not like a, you know, I, I don't want, you know, uh, Deadlands or, you know, these these Westerns that mix it with other stuff. The weird it's, West stuff. Yeah, you know, and that's cool stuff. I, I don't mind that stuff, but it's I've just wanted a nice, solid Western. And, uh, you know, I got Aces and Eights. I got, you know, all that stuff. Just never found one that I really liked. And then uh, Mark Hunt, uh, he redid the Gangbusters game as a BX style sort of retro clone-ish kind of thing. Yep. And then he did... Uh, he did a Western. I haven't got it yet, but I'm, I'm looking into to trying to see if I can get somebody to want to play it. Um, I think it's called Two Fisted Tales is what he calls it. But yes. It's a Western sort of I've, hillish. I've seen, I've talked to Mark at, at a convention about it because we're doing, funny you mentioned that, Luke, because we are doing a uh, uh, Gunfighter X, which is a BX uh, retro clone of Boot Hill. And we're, we're it's going to be nice. big. You know, it's going to be a box set, all, all that kind of stuff. So, but it's going to retro clone uh, basically 1E, 2E, Mostly we want to boot hill, but we're going to use uh, the X game mechanics to do it. And we've talked to Mark about doing some work for us on it too. So you're going to see a lot more in that, well in that coming line down the road Great. a year away. I'm excited. Yeah, does but it, that's does uh, it have dinosaurs. Um, <laughs> I want something with cowboys and dinosaurs. It, it may or <laughs> it, it may or may not. That's um, the beauty of it being BX, though, right? I yes. mean, you want dinosaurs? Hey, there's cowboys. You know, there, there's a reason. The we're doing, there's a reason we're doing all these games like that: Gamma X, uh, Gunfighter X, and obviously our BX RPG, which is going to be renamed Dungeon X pretty soon. Uh, oh, nice. All using the same mechanic. There's a reason we're doing all this, so you can cross, you can cross pollinate your your characters can run from a dungeon, and you can drop them in the old west and use the same characters. Um, it's funny you mention that because I just watched an old West Western movie talk about totally getting sidetracked and it's, it's called the beast of something or other. Okay. Right. And it's a Western. And I'm like, I, I got to watch this. There's a, there's dinosaurs in a Western. Holy shit. It's like an hour and 45 minute old movie, right? Old black and white movie, which is rare. They usually don't run that long. This damn thing doesn't show up to like hour. It's <laughs> <laughs> all this other crap going on. Come for the cowboys. They're, 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 these the cowboys are running a cattle ranch and it's still Mexican. It's still, you know, they got a bunch it's of bad. Bad. They, they got Mexicans working for them, and the dad goes off and dies, gets eaten by the dinosaur, but you don't even see it happen. Just hear you hear it happen. And the kid keeps wanting to run off in the swamp to go find his dad. Oh my god, just <laughs> But it's it's funny. Side plot. It does have dinosaurs. It does. Once they get to it, I'm sorry. It is. 
the beast of hollow mountain that's it that's it but it's also <laughs> in color oddly enough uh there's two versions i guess oh and i haven't seen the color i saw I definitely saw the black yeah. and white version, yeah. It's really sad uh, because Willis O'Brien, the guy who did the special oh, King Kong, King Kong. Yeah. this was like one of the last things he did when he was uh, not you know, getting paid enough. So I'm guessing they, they didn't have much to pay him because he didn't do anything with the damn thing until like I said, the last 15 minutes of the movie. But when he does show up, the dinosaur kicks ass and it's all over the place. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he yeah. licks the lips at one point. There's a yeah, we got way off track. So, uh, oh, sorry for me. Yeah, Buddha. there you go, Larry. <laughs> All right, our final letter is from Sine Wave. Uh, Sine Wave says, Hello there, Dungeon Architects. I haven't written in in a while, but I've been meaning to. Then I heard about your contest. So, here it is. I guess I'm cheap like that. <laughs> I do have a few questions. First off, in most modern games, Characters share a list of skills, and certain characters are better at some of the skills than others. Usually, this is by them getting bonuses to rolling those skills or having a better percent of success. Can you think of other skill systems you ran across? What's the best use of skill systems in RPG in your mind? In an RPG in your mind, still didn't get it right. I would say it was Star Wars D6 because that was where the, that concept was first introduced to me. All right, well, I'm going to pause it there because uh, there's a whole other section to his, his letter. So skill systems, anything other than just the, yet these skills and you're better at them by this percent or this bonus? I call Cthulhu. I think Call of Cthulhu did a good job. I think Empire of the Petal Throne was the first uh, game to have skills in them. And it had a lot of useless skills like dancing and <laughs> blowing. and <laughs> But... Uh, I think Call of Cthulhu, uh, even though it had a number of useless skills, it had a, it had it had almost everything you could want, and uh, I don't know. I liked it. It's what I grew up. The first skill game, you know, I played. I, I'm definitely yeah. I mean, I and I feel like the I, I play a lot of Call of Cthulhu, and I I think the system works pretty solidly. But I was thinking in terms of something different. The one thing that just now came to mind i thought about it earlier and it didn't come to mind but the um the pen dragon it's not so much skill but it's the it's it's the thing that if you're good at something you're bad at something else i think it was more i guess that was more attributes kind of thing but like if you are uh, i can't even think of an example or any of you know where i'm going yeah, here, no, but no, you basically I, have a slide, yeah, you have that slider, slider that yeah. goes from from you're good at this to you're good at that and and you can't be both mm -hmm. and that that was an interesting uh take on a skill like system that is different from just a straight i have a higher percentage or a higher plus or more dice in a dice pool or whatever um i think there's a lot of early games that have a skill system where it's like um you, you, you have this skill and you get to do these things. If you don't have it, you don't get to do these things. Um, you know, Star Frontiers is sort of like that. I mean, there are percents involved, but a lot of them, it's not, you know, it's not like right. only the thief can pick locks. No yeah. one else can try. Yeah. Um, I, I like the idea, like Call of Cthulhu has that nice, is that it gives the base skill so that, which yeah. sort of gives the idea that anybody has at least a 1% chance of doing yeah. whatever it is. I'm, I'm going for reservation, but I'm going to run with champions. Uh, first, second, third edition champions with their skill system, uh, where you you purchase the skill. Because um, if you're not familiar with champions, you, 
you build your characters on a point-based system. There's no dice rolling on randomness. You, you allocate over the them. course of a couple weeks. Yeah, you, you <laughs> not that bad, you guys. Come on, everyone's <laughs> afraid of math. I don't know what's the matter with everybody. Uh, but I do like the way champions did. They had a, you know a lot of different skills um, and it integrated seamlessly with the rest of their the hero system. I want to say um, I'm not a huge skill based guy anyway as far as games go, but I, I did like the way they did it. Um, um, and it, it, I think when champions, what it helped to do is it helped to also uh, fill out backstory to your character. Like, if, you know, you said your character was a, a, an ex-police detective that, you know, all of a sudden got mutant powers. You know, you, you could buy some of those detective, a, a range of detective-based skills uh, into your character and help make them, flush them out and make them kind of... Um, more unique that way. So I think the way I like the way champions did it back in the day. You know, there's a lot of um, some of the more uh, modern narrative systems where, which I was just, just your idea of professions there, but basically if you can convince the, the gamekeeper, the game master that your profession or whatever it is, is relevant, then you get an extra die, right? Mm-hmm. So you roll one yeah. die for being a human, you roll one die for, um, something and, and then if you have a profession that's relevant and so that's kind of a nice way of taking a skill system down to its bare essentials in some sense because that really is the else. burden isn't it? like like on some of these games the skill systems are, are such a long list and then you're 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 dividing hairs there with oh you know should this be acrobatics or should this be you know athletic yeah. right. straight exactly yeah yeah, and um, then you get into the the skill tree ones where you can't get this skill into you know, that skill or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I, I was kind of going to go the route you were. You know, here lately I've been listening to some people talk about Powered by the Apocalypse, and yeah. I don't, I haven't read it, so maybe I'm way off base here. But it sounds to me that it's, it's a similar idea that you have attributes, and uh, they can be tagged, and they can be tagged for good things and bad things. So, like, if one of my attributes is that I'm you know, have law enforcement, you know, when I'm trying to do something that applies to that, I can tag it and get a bonus from it. But likewise, you know, somebody can tag it and say, well, you're not going to shoot me because you're law enforcement, you know? Uh, and, and so it's, you know, can go both ways in, in instances. Uh, yeah. And fate has that same idea there of tagging things. And I feel like, yeah, it sounds more fate, but maybe again, I haven't, uh, I've played a bunch of the PBTA games, but not, um the original i don't maybe i've played that once yeah, but well, I, yeah. i've played none and read none i'm just going from listen to people talk <laughs> kind of like we're doing now we're, we're providing you with more misinformation so Lou's talking <laughs> from the source so Lou's talking more <laughs> shit on stuff he knows absolutely nothing about <laughs> that's what they're here for <laughs> sounds like you're i here i gotta take a, i gotta take a shot another shot at lou sounds like your geek credit from last month brother <laughs> oh, oh, I, 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 I still think I got a leg to stand on that Edgar Allan Poe is, is traditionally seen as the uh, originator of the detective fiction. Oh, you absolutely. Got no, you, got absolutely. No you got no argument for me. You got my questions right. It was Edwin that was, 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 was feeding me my own medicine. Yeah, he went in the head with a baseball bat all night long. <laughs> uh, we do have a second half. Uh, from yeah, finish, finish that letter so there. Uh, all right, so sine wave. Uh, says uh, in your last episode you talked about death trap dungeons i found this to be an interesting subcategory of dungeons i wonder if there are other subcategories i suppose funhouse is another are there any more 
Thanks for entering me into the at-home game. You guys have really been cracking me up lately. Hope your ones are always facing down sine wave. So categories, Thanks, sine wave. categories. Of <laughs> wow. <laughs> I came up with uh, like, I mean, there's like mega dungeon, five room dungeon, but it, uh, I feel like it's more about the adventure in some way. I mean, I, like there's the dungeon. Is it a temple? Is it a mm-hmm. cavern? Whatever. That's not really what he's getting for. And then there's the type of adventure you're on. You know, are you fetching something? Are you killing something? But, but that's not what he's talking about. So that was all I could come up with was this, like you have the dungeon crawl dungeon, sort of the mega dungeon. You have like the five room dungeon. That's a category. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, the death trap fun house. I, think we're, we're so I was thinking like, well, there's mysteries, but that's not a dungeon type. That's an adventure type. I don't know. Go ahead, Bill. I, don't know. I, I think murder mystery can absolutely be fall into that category. I mean, we got, you've got uh, assassins, not, which is L2, right? Uh, the old TSR adventure. Um, I mean, I, I know what you're saying. when I, I don't just, agree with you but uh, yeah, yeah if we're gonna try and create kind of we're talking order, adventures or actually yeah. physically subterranean space yeah, yeah. so i yeah, i'm not sure where he wants to go with that but you know i think if you want to categorize you can categorize a little bit um you know along those lines you know more be you know is it a pulpy sort of adventure or is it a greedy sort of adventure you know is it horror um you know I, if he's asking that i think yeah can, we can slot things like that but I, I don't know i mean they're still you know sine wave write us back again next week or <laughs> next next month and let us know what you're really asking <laughs> and, and we'll enter you again yeah, yeah. <laughs> the only thing i could think of you know other than some of the ones that edwin had come up with um a sunken dungeon i've run across people talking about that where you have like part of it is either all the way or partially filled with water um okay Cool. Yeah, I don't know. Anybody else? <laughs> you should just different. start doing your dungeon and not worry about what it is. It's just it's like a work of art, you know. If you start going underwater, then that's where you're going to go. Or if you're gonna go in a graveyard, then it's that's where you're going with it, you know. Don't worry about what you're what it is you're doing. Just do something cool. There you go. That's you know. No truer words have ever been spoken. You know, I got that, that artist <laughs> mindset of, you know, let the let the art lead you where it wants you to go. Yeah, that's Ooh. awesome. Well, uh, I think our, our mercy has run out. It's time for us to put you through the geek credit here, Chris. <laughs> awesome. Hey, hey, you, do you have any geek credit? This is what I've been waiting for. Are, are the chits ready? The chits are ready. <laughs> All right. Very, very so, very um, what's our situation with the chits? Well, I've got, got three. Them. I got three chits lined up here, um, and we're going to go from my left to right because we got three. Okay, so, we got three emailers, right? Yeah, we got Daniel, yep. Larry, and Signway. Right. So I flipped them over. I don't know what order they're in. It's one, two, and three. So you can pick whoever one, two, and three is. Okay. Let, let's say Daniel's one. Larry's two, sine waves three. Okay, and someone could just... Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, before we do this, we got to figure out what we're going to give them. Uh, uh, I, I can send uh, them something you want. All right, what, what do you what, what do You got something in mind? or? Uh, we can send them a... Well, I, I hate to just send someone something. Well, I mean, we'll send them a D&D, uh, AD&D adventure. Uh, and, I'll, you know, whoever wins, I'll, I can shoot them an email and say, you know, you're looking for 5E or 1E or something like that. And uh, we'll shoot them a, either a hard copy of Path of the Banished or... 
uh, you know, one of, maybe one of our new big, big adventure modules. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is the last time. A lot of pressure is going to be on you, Chris. I mean, this is for, <laughs> yeah, yeah we'll send you something good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I've got, I've got three chits. So you can, uh, they're flipped up. I don't know which is which. Uh, they're numbered one, two, three. So we can go. So am I supposed to roll a die to tell you which chit to, to pull? Are you just supposed to put them in a bag gonna, and pull one out? We are, but I'm not going to do it that way. <laughs> He's doing three-card money, man. Because it, it, it's, it's, it, it's humid as hell down here, so I, it was a bitch just for you to lay them out. So uh, <laughs> right, we're going right. to go left, Close your eyes. left, center, or right. You can tell me left, center, or right, and that's the one I'll pick up. That, and that should number. be Chris's job. That's going to be Chris's job. So Chris, yeah. left, yeah. center, or right? Uh, since I'm from California, I'll say left. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I can't take it anymore. Yeah, the East Coast guy said that's the way to go. All right, here we go. We're grabbing Lefty, and Lefty is number one. Number one. All right, Daniel Paddock, right. you Daniel. are paired up with Chris. If he gets his geek credit tonight, uh, you're gonna win some fabulous stuff. And just just Bill, so we know, Center Chip was number. Number three. Three. And Sound the right chip was, last one was number two, just so everyone can. There was on the right. Yeah, at least all of a sudden the podcast can see those. So you guys got to use your, your D20 chits. To <laughs> I wish everyone could see them. They're lovely. You know what? I never got a chance to use them in my day because we, we had dice, so. This is my they first, look extremely first annoying. To me. <laughs> yes, I can't even imagine. I believe me. Just trying to just trying to mess with all these. No, no. God, no. I, I had heard about them, but I imagined them being a lot bigger. But I mean, they're literally like pink, pinky nail size. Oh, they're not even all cut the same. This is a freaking nightmare. <laughs> I, I can't even. <laughs> oh well. All right, so Chris, uh, we got five multiple choice questions. Uh, these are on some topics that you said that uh, you were familiar with. I know I got some uh, '60s Marvel era comics, and uh, what else did I pick? I picked. I've up, got uh, some, some uh, Shakespearean and Lovecraftian vocabulary. Hey, <laughs> all right, Bill, are, are you uh, participating in the questions tonight? I've got one. I've got one. All right, I've got one. <laughs> all right, so uh, tell you what, Bill, uh, why don't you start, and then Edwin and I will bounce back and forth. Of course, that was good. Um, <laughs> if you need time, I'll lead. I, I don't care. No, 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 no. I'll go. So, uh, Chris, you you obviously have a penchant for dinosaurs here. So, and we already talked kind of a dinosaur movie. Um, so, there's been uh, lots of movies actually on this particular book, uh, The Lost World by Arthur Conan Doyle. So, not the uh, Michael Crichton one, which is completely awesome, by the way. The movie sucked, but the book's amazing. So, uh, Lost World, Arthur Conan Doyle. The uh, the main character has a uh, he's a kind of an unforgettable character. I'm going to ask you if you remember his name. His name is Professor Challenger. There we go. There we go. Intelligence and high strength. Yes. <laughs> and a hair trigger temper. <laughs> if I remember right, he's a recurring character for uh, Doyle, isn't he? I don't oh, know. I think you're right. I think he was in more than one. Yeah. 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 Uh, he should have been in a lot more because it just it's <laughs> it, it, we're going to get way off track here. But, you know, Arthur Conan Doyle, we all think Sherlock Holmes. Right. But uh, his non Sherlock Holmes stuff is absolutely just amazing. I mean, he did Napoleonic stuff. I mean, it, it's amazing. And, and like I said, Challenger, Dr. Ch Professor Challenger is just such a character you want to keep reading. It's like, man, you wish you would have as many stories as Sherlock Holmes because it's just great. The guy you never could Invention write that game. guy today. By the way, you <laughs> could never in a million years write that guy today. 
You'll be canceled in about a half a second. Better. <laughs> All right. Ding, ding, ding. You got one point got on one. the boards here. You need two more and, uh, and you go home with credit and uh, Daniel goes home with some nice goods. So uh, nice. Edwin, you want in or you want me to go in? Uh, I'll take it next. That's fine. So I found a, um, so Ruth X in 2015 uh, did a, word count on uh the complete works of lovecraft and uh so i'm pulling from the 10 most uh common interesting words getting rid of and and the and it's only look and it's looking at the root so right so super superlative whatever the same word anyway of the following words which are all in lovecraft's top 10 which one was not used by shakespeare oh cool Okay, so here's four words oh, coming at you. Is, this Chris. is how Lou lost, Chris. Is- <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's getting bad when, when all of a sudden uh, I, I'm looking like this off. <laughs> nice guy. Okay. What, uh, that's right, a great so, question. Uh, I want to record this one now. <laughs> it's going to well, be recorded. Hey, it is being recorded. <laughs> it is, it is being recorded. still on there. <laughs> um, so abnormal, faint hideous and madness which one shakespeare didn't use is, is did not use even once and this is in his complete works uh poems you know sonnets plays i want to know how someone had the time to look all this up yeah i'm gonna guess abnormal you are absolutely right so i oh. learned oh. that previous to the 1820s uh normal only meant orthogonal uh, perpendicular and that was that actually dates back to the 1500s but normal as we use it today and therefore abnormal is from the 1800s which of Did course post dates our buddy shakespeare so you got two all right oh, you're way smarter than me though i just got lucky <laughs> luck is good I was gonna pick, lucky than dead. i was gonna ask to pick a shit again <laughs> uh chris i'll give you your your, your choice here i've got uh the Marvels, uh, Marvel questions. I've got dinosaur movie question, and I've got a zombie movie question. What do you want? Ooh, let's, let's do zombie. Okay. Out of George A. Romero's original three zombie films, the zombie trilogy, as people call them, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, and Day of the Dead, which one has the most remakes? Which one did they remake the most times? Ooh. Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, or Day of the Dead? Official remakes only. Yeah, this is hard for me because I hate remakes. <laughs> I think <laughs> there's never been a good remake of these wonderful movies. You're right. <laughs> but I saw a 3D Night of the Living Dead, so that's the one I'm going to well, get. J- just to stipulate, though, like if it was mm. the same movie but in 3D, that, that wouldn't count here. This is like new casting new new writing you know new movie with the same title kind of thing change your answer yeah i'm still gonna go with night all right actually the correct answer is day of the dead uh (sighs) night of the living dead's only been remade officially once in 1990 dawn of the dead's been remade officially only once in 2004 but day of the dead had a remake called day of the dead in 2008 and another remake called day of the dead bloodline but it was just a remake even with the extra little title piece uh in 2018 
Okay. All right. Pressure's saw, on now. You, 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 I you saw didn't... Day of the Dead at, when it premiered, and I was actually interviewed on the TV news about why people would want to see zombie movies. <laughs> I think you should get your geek credit just for that. Yeah. yeah what what did you have to say? I didn't even like the movie very much. I'm a huge <laughs> fan of Dawn of the Dead, and I love Night of the Dead. I think, yeah, why remake the one that was not the better of the <laughs> Well, it, it, still opposite trying. side of the coin, yeah. It's like, well, you know, we can still get this right. Let's try. I'm, I'm getting, I, I'm gathering the license was cheap. Yeah, that's true too. Probably, yeah. All right, so uh, we're two and one, yep. headed into question number four here. So, from the same list of the following words, which one was used more times by Shakespeare than by Lovecraft? Ooh, okay. So. The four words are accursed, loath, nameless, and singular. I guess loath. Nailed it. Oh, I nailed got it. his credit oh, right there. And this one, this one was fun because again, as I said, it's like it's the, the root of the word. And Shakespeare went on with uh loathsomeness loathsomest like the most loathsome uh loathly <laughs> loathly, <laughs> loathly day like, in the he was all over the place i'm gonna tell you right I now really we can go back to arthur conan doyle use singular way more than any of these guys <laughs> <laughs> wow you know i want to, i just want to picture for a moment uh lovecraft and shakespeare sitting at the you know, <laughs> down in hell wherever they ended up <laughs> laughing at this now yeah. <laughs> well, you got your credit, but just just to see how far you can take it, uh, you, you got one more question here. Marvel superheroes from the 1960s or dinosaur movies? What would you like? I think um, I'm going to risk it for Marvel because uh, I think I nailed dinosaurs too well already. <laughs> so let me show off. Give me Marvel superheroes. All right. So 60s, you know, a uh, very timely uh, event. Vietnam War. Um, which hero from Marvel Comics got their start in their in their premiere episode, a premiere issue that is trying to help the American military win the Vietnam War with new explosive transistors? Whoa. Yeah, you, you got a choice here. If you know it, you can say it. But I'll give you a choice if you if you want choices. I'm embarrassed to say I do not know. Okay. <laughs> So which of these characters premiere issue they're they're trying to sell the the United States military new explosive transistors was it uh the hulk through uh Bruce Banner the beast through Hank McCoy Iron Man through Tony Stark or the Black Panther which of those got in their first issue was trying to win the war through explosive transistors ooh ooh I know the least about the beast, so I'm gonna I'm gonna guess it was the beast. Oh, it is not. It's actually Iron Man, and that's how it was he Iron ends Man? up. Yeah, that's how oh. he ends up getting captured, and uh, you know, in the cave makes his Iron Man costume and all that sort of thing. Yeah, I am ashamed. I am ashamed. That's okay. Hey, you still got your geek credit tonight, and I'm sure <laughs> that uh, Daniel will be uh, happy about that. So, absolutely. <laughs> Oh, we, we have kept you an awfully long time, and I am so glad that you came to join us tonight, Chris. It's been so fun talking to you. Um, definitely in, inspiration as far as, uh, you know, making those games. I, I just I can't wait to get to the next North Texas and see what you come up with for next year. 
<laughs> It'll be something weird. <laughs> something weird, I promise. Thank you, guys. You're doing great. Chris, uh, was, thanks so much for, for joining us. That was awesome. Chris, it was, and, uh, uh, yeah, it was great talking to you, and it was great reminiscing about, about uh, your experience with your, your dad's amazing product and all the things that you do, and uh, can't wait to see you. Uh, you'll be at Texas next year, right? My wife lets me. I will be there. Right, we'll make sure. Let's make it. Uh, I usually have the same battle, so we'll, we'll, we'll make it happen, right? We'll see you then. <laughs> I was just going to say thanks, Edwin. <laughs> Before we leave, though, Chris, uh, the, the two books that are coming out, right? There, there's two books that are being republished. When are they coming out? How can people get those if they want them? Uh, Rice Bros Incorporated uh, assures me that they will be out at the end of summer and available from their website. And uh, Mahars of Pellucidar is the first and red axe of pellucidar is the sequel excellent awesome uh, yeah if, if you love sword and planet which is like something that's just like really got me on fire right now those that that whole series uh and you know it's just a, an exemplar of that and uh you know I, i've not read your dad's books in that series but uh i'm looking forward to it i'm definitely a buyer thank you all right until next time folks it's been Lou Alu. All right, this is Edwin. Good night, guys. Good night. Good night. Tonight's episode of This Old Dungeon is copyright 2021. We'd like to thank our special guests and remind you, the listener, that the views expressed and the opinions held are simply our own. Hey, we're here to entertain, not educate. Until next time, happy gaming.